Why do you have? We would be honored if you would join us. Hey there, Cosmic Cool Star Wars fans. It's Kyle beaming in, ready to hit you with another episode of Star Wars Audio Archives, arguably the most epic show this side of the galaxy. We've been charting the vast expanses of the Old Republic, and oh boy, what a stellar journey it's been so far. Let's dive deep and unravel the tapestries of Annihilation's next part. Are you ready to rev up those Starship engines? Then let's get to it. Theron had no intention of showing up late for his briefing with the Supreme Commander. The Director was already furious with him for slipping his name into the summary report for Operation Endgame. No sense adding fuel to the fire. As a result, he arrived at Jace's office 20 minutes early. Take a seat, the receptionist instructed, pointing to one of several chairs against the wall. The Supreme Commander will see you once everyone is here. There was nothing in her tone to indicate this was anything but standard protocol, but Theron couldn't help but wonder if the director had given explicit instructions not to let him in to speak with Jace Malcolm unescorted. However, looking at the young woman's bearing professional, but in no way wary or guarded, convinced him he was just being paranoid. He smiled to himself as he sat down, glad to see his survival skills were operating at full throttle once again. For a field agent, a little paranoia was a good thing. Sometimes they really were out to get you. The director arrived about fifteen minutes later. He gave a perfunctory nod to Theron, then a warm smile and wink to the receptionist. The young woman blushed and smiled herself as she pretended not to have seen the gesture. Looks like the director is looking for wife number three, Theron thought to himself. Any advice for this meeting? Theron asked quietly as his boss took a seat beside him to wait. Since when does anything I ever tell you matter? He replied in a sharp whisper, just low enough to keep the receptionist from hearing. You just do whatever you want anyway. But I get results, Theron reminded him. That's why you keep me around. The director didn't reply, and Theron could tell he was biting his tongue to keep from unleashing a full-blown rant in front of the receptionist. Jace is a military man, the director finally said after regaining his composure. He likes discipline and order. Pull one of your typical reckless stunts while he's calling the shots, and he'll crush you. I'll keep that in mind. Theron promised. They passed the next few minutes in uncomfortable silence until Master Nostaral, their Jedi liaison, arrived. The Keldor was slightly taller than Theron, though he appeared thinner, possibly because of his loose-fitting Jedi robe. His rough, ridged skin was a faded hue of yellow-brown. Like all Keldor who ventured from the helium-rich atmosphere of their homeworld, his eyes were protected by form-fitting goggles, and the lower half of his face was partially obscured by a steel breathing mask. The mask covered the fleshy chasm that Keldor possessed in place of a nose and mouth, though it left his ten-centimeter-long downward-protruding tusks exposed. Given his complexion, the mask, the tusks, and the odd-shaped cranium typical of the species Master Nostaral's appearance was intimidating and unsettling. But Theron knew the Jedi was one of the most respected and honored masters in the Order. 
He was the Republic's foremost expert on the Sith. He had studied them in detail for many years in his role as Keeper of the Jedi Archives. Having reviewed the file the Jedi sent over, however, Theron knew he was more than a mere historian. Nostaral was also an accomplished warrior. He'd been battling the Sith ever since their startling re-emergence on the galactic stage, longer than Theron had even been alive. Theron wondered what the Keldor thought of Grandmaster Satil Shan. Though there were no records of them serving directly together, he surely knew the head of the Jedi Order personally. He also wondered if Nostaral knew Satil was his mother. Not that Theron really cared either way. Satil's connection to him was purely biological. His lineage had no bearing on who he was or what he had become. The only real parent he'd had was Master Zhou. Greetings, Director, the alien said, his voice deep and resonant even through his mask. And to you, Agent Shan. Call me Theron. As you wish. I knew Master Zhou. He spoke of you often. I grieved when I heard of his loss. Though I take solace knowing he became one with the Force. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Theron was familiar enough with Jedi philosophy not to take offense at the well-intentioned words. He also made note of the fact that Nostaral mentioned Zhou, but not Satil, though he might just have been exercising discretion. The Supreme Commander will see you now, the young woman said, pressing a button behind her desk that caused the door to swing open. The three men rose as one and entered the room where Jace was waiting. The Supreme Commander sprang to his feet as they entered, coming over quickly to close the door behind them. Director, Master Nostaral, he said, nodding at each of them in turn. Good to finally meet you, Theron. His words came quickly, as if he was nervous. Theron chalked it up to excitement over the mission. I want everyone to speak freely, Malcolm continued. Rank means nothing here. We're all equals in this meeting. If you have something to say, just say it. Think you can handle that, Theron? The director asked sarcastically. I'll try to get over my natural shyness. Perhaps we should bring each other up to speed. Master Nostaral suggested. You can tell me more about Operation Endgame, and I can tell you about the Ascendant Spears, Commander. She was once my Padawan. Though she went by the name of Kana Tirid back then. I helped put together the analytics report, Theron reminded them. I've studied everything that was in the files in detail. I'm more interested in what wasn't in the files. The Jedi nodded. Kana showed great promise during her training, though I was always wary of her ambition. She rarely limited herself to the tasks I set to her. She liked to go off on her own. Take risks, always looking for the next new challenge. Sound familiar? The director mumbled, but Theron ignored him. Instead of trying to change her nature, 
I sought to guide and direct her natural curiosity. I encouraged her to explore and branch out. That doesn't sound familiar, Theron interjected, arching an eyebrow in his boss's direction. It may be my fault that she fell to the dark side. I thought her training had given her the discipline to keep her safe, but perhaps giving her so much freedom was a mistake. Theron chimed in before the director could say anything. Some people are just drawn to the dark side. Forcing her to follow a rigid set of rules might have made her abandon the Jedi Order even sooner. She didn't abandon the Jedi Order. Not as you think. I wanted to get one of my people into the Sith. Someone to help bring them down from the inside. I was the one who sent her to study under Darth Malgus. I knew it was a risk. If she was discovered, she would suffer untold tortures and a gruesome, painful death. Even worse, I knew the temptation of the dark side would test her. Malgus was both powerful and charismatic. Theron wasn't entirely sure the risk of falling to the dark side was worse than torture and death, but he managed to keep his mouth shut. For several years, she worked undercover, studying at Malgus's feet while secretly relaying information back to me. Much of what we know about the Ascendant Spear came from her initial reports, and her information led to several key Republic victories. Let me guess what happened next, Theron said. The intel kept flowing, but it became less valuable. The information was still accurate, but it wasn't as strategically important. She became a double agent. She was feeding us insignificant scraps on the Empire's plans, while relaying critical Republic intel to Darth Malgus. Before she abandoned us, we learned that the ship's full potential can only be unlocked by those with a powerful connection to the Force. The Jedi added. But it also requires special cybernetic implants to interface with the control systems. It is this union of ship and Sith that makes the spear such a formidable weapon. I believe Malgus convinced my Padawan to submit to the surgery for the cybernetic implants so she could take command of the vessel. That was likely the final temptation that lured her over to the dark side. The Keldor's insistence on finding some identifiable reason for Carid's betrayal didn't sit well with Theron. You're not going on this mission to try to redeem your former Padawan, are you? I know you Jedi believe nobody is beyond redemption, but bringing down the spear is going to be hard enough already. My actions unleash Darth Carid on the galaxy. It is my responsibility to stop her. That is my only concern. Theron nodded. Taking care of unfinished business was something he could understand. In any event, Connor changed her name to Darth Carid, and I haven't had any contact with her since. Everything I know about her now comes to me from other sources, like SIS. We've just learned that Darth Carid has recently been given a seat on the Dark Council, the director chimed in. This doesn't change anything, Jace insisted. It just means taking Carrot and the Spear down will have an even greater impact on the Empire. That's why Operation Endgame is so important. After reviewing all the scenarios analytics offered, we realize we can't stop the Spear unless we first get a saboteur on board. 
the Supreme Commander told Nosterol. The plan is to have Theron stow away on the ship while it's docked at an Imperial spaceport for crew leave. The spear never stays in port for long, Theron added. Getting a saboteur on board requires preparation and planning. We'd have to know which spaceport Carrot was heading for so we could get there first to set everything up. We do have a mole inside Imperial Fleet Communications, the director said. And she can divert copies of any messages being transmitted to or from the Ascendant Spear to us. But those messages are coded. Then it won't do us any good, Theron noted. Unless we have a black cipher. Hasn't acquiring a black cipher been a Republic priority for months? Nosterol asked, impressing Theron with his knowledge of something that didn't fall under the Order's typical purview. The Empire has taken every precaution to keep that from happening, Jace replied. On two occasions, we even salvaged a damaged cipher from the wreckage of an Imperial capital ship in the hope of repairing or reverse engineering it. Unfortunately, the ciphers are designed with a self-destruct function. When a capital ship goes down, the ciphers automatically burn out their decryption cores. Without a functional core... The cipher is just a worthless metal box. So how do you propose we acquire one? Asked Theron. The Imperial Minister of Logistics uses one to communicate with capital ships across the galaxy. The director explained. It's in his office at the Orbital Defense Command Center on Zyost. So we need to break into one of the most heavily guarded buildings on one of the Empire's most critical and well-defended worlds and steal the cipher without setting off the self-destruct sequence? The Jedi asked, making sure he was clear on the plan. It's more complicated than that, Theron said. If a working cipher goes missing, the Empire will just reprogram all their codes. Theron knew it wasn't as simple as he was making it sound. The black ciphers had been designed to prevent anyone from tampering with them. They couldn't be reprogrammed in the field. Changing the encryption codes would require the Empire to recall their capital ships so technicians could synchronize the changes on each vessel. It would be costly and time-consuming, but it was still a better option than letting the enemy listen in on their classified transmissions. But the Empire won't go to the trouble and expense of changing the codes if they don't think the cipher is missing, the director explained. We need to break into the minister's office and swap the working cipher's core with one of the burned-out cores from the damaged ciphers we recovered. Make them think the one in the minister's office was somehow damaged, causing it to set off the self-destruct sequence. Won't they be suspicious if the cipher is mysteriously damaged? Not if they think it was damaged in a terrorist attack, Theron chimed in. Plenty of Imperial installations on other worlds have been targeted in the past. We switch the cores, then detonate some explosives inside the building. Make it look like local anti-Imperial separatists set off a blast that triggered the Cypher's self-destruct sequence. Could be heavy civilian casualties if we aren't careful. We'll do everything we can to minimize collateral damage. We'll need the architectural blueprints for the Orbital Defense Command Center along with a list of all their security protocols. Does SIS have a contact on Zyost we can use? We haven't been able to make any inroads into Zyost yet, 
the director admitted. I know someone who can help, Theron said. The freelancer I worked with before. The hard part is going to be convincing her to work with me again. Even if Theron's friend helps us out, the director cautioned. We're still working on a good cover story to get onto Zyost without drawing attention. I can take care of that. Theron raised an eyebrow in surprise. SIS aren't the only ones who need to infiltrate Imperial worlds. Then it's settled, Theron said. So when do we leave? He knew they could keep going over the mission backward and forward, hashing out every last detail, but he didn't see the point. Part of what made him a good agent was the ability to think on his feet. Any specifics they came up with now would be pure speculation. It was inevitable things would change during the actual mission, and over-planning would only make it harder to adapt and improvise. Give me time to get our cover story in place. We can meet at my private hangar in two days. I'll send you the location. I'm glad you're both eager to start, Jay said. But let's not rush into anything. You wanted Theron on this op, Marcus said, coming to his agent's defense. I've learned that when he's ready to go, the best thing is to just get out of his way. I can do that, Jace vowed. Gentlemen, Operation Endgame has officially begun. May luck and the Force be with you. Realizing they had been dismissed... Theron, the director, and Nostoral filed out of the Supreme Commander's office and into the reception area outside. You two uh, go on ahead, the director told them, casting a quick glance over at the receptionist as the office door closed behind them. I need to speak with this young lady about some paperwork. Coordinating SIS resources with the military. Gotta make everything official. Theron suspected that whatever the director wanted to talk about was decidedly unofficial, but he had enough tact not to say anything as he and Nostaral continued out into the hall alone. I'm looking forward to working with you, the Jedi said once they reached a branch in the hall where they would part ways. And I can assure you that my feelings for my former Padawan won't interfere with our mission. That's good to know, Theron said, thinking... If it comes down to it, will you be able to kill her, or will you hesitate? I'll see you in two days, Nostaral said, then turned and headed off in the other direction. As he watched him go, the personal holocom on Theron's belt started to beep. Curious, he answered the call. To his surprise, the Supreme Commander's face materialized before him. Theron, I'd like to speak to you again before the mission. Alone, at my private residence. Of course, sir, Theron said, too taken aback to think of anything else. Good. I'll send you the address. Be there tomorrow night. The call ended before Theron could ask any questions, leaving him wondering what the Supreme Commander of the Republic could possibly want to discuss. Jace Malcolm shifted his position unable to get comfortable on the couch in the living room of his modestly furnished apartment as he waited for Theron to arrive. The Supreme Commander wasn't normally so restless. During his military career, he'd spent many hours just sitting and waiting, 
A soldier's life was long stretches of boredom, broken up by brief interludes of intense action. He'd learned long ago how to stay calm and relaxed as the minutes ticked by. But this situation was unlike anything he'd ever dealt with before. When the buzzer at his door rang, he actually sprang to his feet and paused a moment to collect himself before opening the door. Thanks for coming, Theron, he said to the young man on the other side. I'm not going to miss a meeting with the Supreme Commander, Theron replied. This wasn't an order, Jace assured him. Just a request. Coming from someone in your position, they're basically the same thing. Jace nodded. He had been an officer in command of others for many years, but his recent promotion to Supreme Commander had taken things to a level he still wasn't quite used to. Come in and sit down, he said. Please, he added, hoping to make it seem like an invitation. Theron settled into one of the two chairs across from the couch. Jace couldn't help but notice his choice of seat, facing the door and the farthest position away from where anyone else could sit. Nice place you have here, Commander. Kind of expected the walls to be covered with all your medals and commendations. They clashed with the drapes, Jace explained. Can I get you something to drink? I've got a nice Alderanian vintage if you like wine. Or Corellian Reserve if you prefer brandy. No thanks, sir. How about some Mandalorian Crygy? Always wanted to try the hard stuff, Theron said. Sure, I'll take a glass. Jace made his way over to the liquor cabinet in the corner and poured them both a shot, then brought it over to his guest before taking a seat on the couch facing him. In the light of the apartment, he could see that Theron favored his mother's side. He could make out a few faint hints of Satil Shan and the younger man's features, though if he didn't know who his mother was, it wouldn't have been noticeable. To the Republic? Theron asked, holding up his glass. The Republic, Jace agreed, and they both downed their drinks in a single gulp. <coughs> Theron coughed and sputtered for a few seconds, a common reaction in those tasting Crygy for the first time. Want another? Jace asked. It'll grow on you. <coughs> I'm good. Theron gasped, his face still red from choking on the first glass. They set their empty glasses on the coffee table between them, and an uncomfortable silence settled over the room. Jace knew Theron was waiting for him to speak, but he honestly didn't know where to begin. I served with your mother, he finally said, on Alderaan. She was a remarkable woman. He could see a change come over Theron's face. He was suddenly guarded and wary. I figured you knew, he said. Is that why you picked me for this mission? I've seen your service record, Theron. You've earned this. You didn't answer my question. I wondered if there was some of your mother in you, Jace admitted. I don't mean to be rude, Commander, but if you brought me here to ask about Satil, you're out of luck. I barely know her. There was a shortness to Theron's reply. It wasn't exactly anger or bitterness, more like exasperation. As if he'd had or imagined this conversation so many times before that he was simply tired of it. So you've never reached out to her? Or she to you? Theron shrugged. Never saw any reason. When I was born, she gave me up to dedicate herself to the Republic. 
I understand why she did it, and I respect her choice. I chose to serve the Republic too. That's why I joined SIS. Making her part of my life now would just complicate things for both of us. Make both of our jobs harder. I don't see the point. You seem pretty sure of this, Jace noted. Nagani Show helped me understand why Satil did what she did. I've come to terms with it. I've moved on. But what about your father? Didn't you ever want to ask Satil about him? Master Zhou was my father. He raised me. Made me who I am. The conversation wasn't going as well as Jace had hoped. He was dancing around the real issue, and realized he was actually afraid. He'd faced death too many times to count, but here he was, too scared to tell Theron why he was really here. Taking a deep breath, the Supreme Commander decided it was time to charge into the breach. Theron, I didn't know Satil had a son. I only found out a few days ago when I saw your name in the report and I asked the director if you were related. Kind of wish he'd lied to you, Theron grumbled. Could have avoided this whole awkward chat. Jace ignored him and pressed on, determined to get the truth out there. He gave me your personnel file. I checked when you were born, confirming what I already suspected. Theron, I believe that I am your father. There was a long silence before Theron finally spoke. I already told you, he said coldly. Master Zhou is my father. Theron, you have to believe that I had no idea. When Satil broke off our relationship, I thought it was because of the Jedi Order's ban against emotional attachments. I didn't realize she was pregnant. Theron stood up suddenly. Commander, I'm sorry she lied to you, but this is between you and her. You need to talk to Satil. That's the last thing I need right now, Jace replied. She lied to me, hid you from me. I'm so mad I wouldn't even know what to say to her. But she'd know what to say to you, Theron said sympathetically. The Jedi always have an explanation. Exactly. I'm in no mood to hear her prattle on about peace and controlling your emotions. That's why I came to you. I still don't know what you want from me, Theron said, shaking his head. Why tell me this? Why? Chase rose to his feet. You're my son. Doesn't that mean anything to you? No, Theron snapped, taking a step back. We're just strangers who happen to share a biological connection. That's my point, Chase insisted, resisting the urge to take a step forward. We don't have to be strangers. I don't need someone to take me fishing or teach me how to ride a hoverbike. That's not what I meant, Jace said, shaking his head in frustration. I just want to get to know you better. Maybe we have more in common than you think. Theron sighed and brought a hand up to rub his temples. Your timing on this is really terrible, Commander, he said. I could have handled this better, Jace admitted. I just thought you had a right to know. I'm still trying to figure this all out. Fair enough, Theron said, his tone softening. I've been dealing with Satil's decision my whole life, but you just found out. I guess it's going to take you some time to get a handle on it.
Jay stayed silent, sensing that Theron was heading somewhere. I have a lot of respect and admiration for you and what you do, Theron told him. And maybe we do have a lot in common. We've both dedicated our lives to helping the Republic. Maybe when I get back from Zyos, we can try to get to know each other better. Don't worry, Chase assured him. We can take it slow. If we were taking it slow, you wouldn't have dropped this bomb on our first visit. Sorry about that, Chase said. I thought you deserved to know before the mission. Just in case. The professional soldier in him realized how poorly he had handled the whole situation, though there wasn't much he could do about it now. You and Master Nostaral are scheduled to leave tomorrow. Do you need me to postpone the mission for a few days while you process this? Give me a little credit, Commander, Theron replied. I'm more worried about you. Knowing I'm your son might affect your judgment on Operation Endgame. You don't get to be Supreme Commander unless you can put personal feelings aside for the greater good of the Republic, Jace replied. Glad to hear it. There was another long, uncomfortable silence before Theron finally said, I should go. I still have some things to get ready before I leave. Right, uh, of course. Jace escorted Theron to the door. Just before he left, the young man turned to him. We can talk again when I get back. Looking forward to it, Jace answered with a smile. The door slid closed, and Jace slowly made his way back over to collapse onto the couch. His heart was pounding, and his body felt simultaneously wired and exhausted. The same reaction he had at the end of an intense battle. He closed his eyes to take a short nap, and slipped immediately off to sleep. A useful skill most soldiers quickly learned. Jace lay motionless with his eyes closed on his cot as consciousness slowly returned. Floating on a cloud of colto, he could hear the celebration taking place outside his tent. Havoc Squad had won a great victory today over the Empire. The Republic had been giving ground ever since the Sith had first reappeared and seized Korriban. Reclaiming Alderaan was a morale boost the troops desperately needed. The songs and laughter of the soldiers from outside the tent sounded as if they were coming from a great distance, muted by the drugs that numbed the pain of his disfigured face. The explosion from the grenade he'd clutched in his hand while tackling Darth Malgus had scarred him for life. But his desperate actions had saved Satil Shan's life. Just as her unexpected arrival had saved him from execution at the hands of the Sith earlier in the battle. How are you feeling? A gentle voice cooed in his ear. And he opened his eyes to see Satil hovering over him. Muddled. Jace said with a smile. Kolto's making me a bit woozy. He could feel his burned skin stretching and cracking at the gesture, and he half expected Satil to recoil as he realized what a gruesome sight he must be. Instead, she returned his smile and reached out to place a soft hand on his bare arm. Her touch sent a shiver along the spine. What are you doing here? He asked her. On Alderaan, I mean. I had a vision, she told him. The Force showed me that you would need my help on Alderaan, and I petitioned the Council to send reinforcements. 
Might have to rethink my opinion on that mystical mumbo-jumbo. Jace teased her. Those imps were about to make me a full head shorter before you arrived. Guess I owe you one. After all the battles we fought together, I've stopped keeping track of who owes who. Satil told him. You know I'll always be there for you. And I know you'll be there for me. We make a good team, Jace conceded. They find Malgus's body yet? Satil shook her head. I'm starting to think he survived the battle. You dropped a mountain on him. Jace grunted in disbelief. <laughs> How can anyone survive that? He's a powerful Sith Lord. It's possible he used the dark side to survive my final assault. But you should not let that detract from this moment. All of Alderaan is hailing you as a hero this night. If you're up to it, I can take you out to enjoy the celebrations. I'd rather stay here in my tent. Alone. With you. Satil tried to dismiss his comment with a laugh, but there was a nervousness in her reaction that Jace could sense even through the fading fugue of the painkillers in his system. I'm serious, Satil, he said. You know how I feel about you. I've felt that way for years. Ever since we first met. That's the Colto talking, she said, though she sounded unsure. Colto's just giving me the courage to say what I've felt this entire time, Jace insisted, sitting up and clasping her hand between his. Or maybe it's knowing I was only seconds away from death. Whatever the reason, I can't keep playing this game. I can't ignore what's in my heart, he continued, the words coming in a rush, his mind suddenly focused and clear. And I know you feel something for me, too. Zatiel shook her head, but she didn't pull her hand away. I am a Jedi. We must unburden ourselves from emotion and passion to find peace. What peace can you find when the galaxy is consumed by war? Jace asked. Instead of denying what we feel, we should embrace it. Together, we are greater than each of us alone. You can't deny it. I'm a Jedi, she repeated. Though Jace could tell her resolve was weakening. There have been Jedi who fell in love, he said. The Order pretends it never happens. We both know that isn't true. Satil was silent for several moments. When she spoke, her voice was little more than a whisper. I viewed this moment since we first met, she told him. She leaned in and gave Jace a gentle kiss on the lips. Careful not to brush the exposed and tender flesh of his wounds. Jace woke with a start, nearly spilling himself off his couch. He hadn't dreamed about Satil for years. He'd thought the memories and the pain they brought him had been boxed safely away. Speaking with Theron, speaking with his son, had reopened old wounds. Checking his watch, he saw nearly two hours had passed since Theron had left. That would explain the crick in his neck. The couch was fine for a brief power nap, but it was no place to spend the night. Grunting like a man decades older, he forced himself to his feet and staggered off to bed, wondering if his nights would now be haunted by the only woman he had ever loved. Back in his apartment, Theron couldn't stop pacing. The conversation with Jace 
with your father had affected him more than he wanted to admit. Logically, everything he'd said to Jace was true. Nagani Joe had raised him, and the only real connection he had shared with the Supreme Commander was some shared DNA. Emotionally, however, he couldn't simply brush the revelation off. It rekindled long-forgotten feelings of anger and betrayal toward his mother. Feelings he thought he'd come to terms with long ago. But when it came to Jace, he wasn't sure what he felt. He wasn't angry. It wasn't fair to blame the Supreme Commander for what Satil had done. He wasn't feeling happy or excited or relieved. He'd never felt the need to know his biological father before. So it wasn't like some great void in his life had suddenly been filled. Yet even though he couldn't describe it, he was feeling something. You're not going to figure this out in one night. Theron stopped pacing and shook his head, trying to regain his focus. Operation Endgame had to be his top priority. He couldn't afford to be distracted by this unexpected family drama. He had to put all thoughts of his parents aside and concentrate on the mission. He took a few deep breaths to regain his composure. A simple trick he'd learned from Nagani Zhou. You're real, father. Ignoring the voice inside his head, he made his way over to the hollow terminal in the center of the room. He'd set up his apartment so that all incoming holocalls were automatically tracked and traced. He pulled up the data from his last call, Tefeth, and sent off a hailing signal, not bothering to hide the identity tag on the transmission. If she's dead set on not talking to me, she'll just ignore the call. The hollow beeped several times before Tefeth finally answered. Told you to leave us alone, she snarled as her image materialized before him. You didn't have to pick up. Beeping hollow's annoying. What you want? I need a favor. Theron half expected her to cut the call short right there. Instead, she gave an exasperated sigh. <sighs> Knew you were following us for a reason. It's a small favor, Theron assured her. Just need you to make one call. To who? She asked, her eyes narrowing suspiciously. Theron took it as a good sign that she hadn't said no. I have some business on Zyost. I need a contact there who can hold on to an important package for a few days until I come to pick it up. Might also need him to get me a few things. Blueprints, information, maybe some explosives. You know anyone like that? Thought you said you weren't following us on Zyost. Theron held up his hands defensively. Never set foot on that planet in my life. I only know you were there because you mentioned it on our last call. Tepeth's head tails twitched as she debated whether to believe him or not. What this about? Can't say. Top secret. But it won't cause any problems for you or the old Tian Brotherhood. Cause problems for the Empire? Theron shrugged. Does that really matter to you? Got a contact who works with the ZLF. Maybe could do it. Theron had read several reports focusing on the Zyost Liberation Front, a radical separatist group that had vowed to free their homeworld from imperial control. Relying primarily on violent guerrilla attacks, they targeted both military and civilian targets, making them technically a terrorist organization. The ZLF was too extreme for the Republic to officially support them, but for this mission, they were exactly what he needed. And you won't have to worry about any of them being sympathetic to the Empire. That should work, Theron said, 
Can you set up a meeting? Never said we'd help you yet. Got to work out the terms. Two hundred credits. A thousand. I'm not giving you a thousand credits just to set up a meeting, Theron said with a laugh. Three hundred. Take it or leave it. Tepeth chewed her lip for a minute as she considered the offer. Four hundred. In advance. And this makes us even for Narsada. Before Theron could agree, she quickly added, We set this up and you leave us alone from now on. We see you following us again. We kill you. Figured that would be part of the deal. 400 credits in advance and you'll never see me again. Satisfied, Tepeth said, Okay, we set it up. Theron was impressed with the ship Nostaral had procured for their journey to Zylst. The TZ-6 Executive Shuttle was one of Corellian Engineering Corporation's most luxurious mass-production vessels. The ship was easily worth five times the value of any craft Theron had ever owned. The name stenciled on the side, Prosperity, seemed particularly apt. The Jedi must pay better than I thought, he said, running an appreciative hand along the gleaming hull. I'll be playing the part of a wealthy industrialist, Nostaral explained. It would look unusual if we were traveling in a substandard vessel. Hey, you don't need to convince me, Theron said. I like traveling in style. Theron took two quick steps up the boarding ramp, eager to check out the interior, and just as eager to leave Coruscant behind. He knew from past experience that once the mission was underway, his mind would be too focused to keep brooding over the fact that Jace Malcolm was his father. So tell me more about our cover story, Theron said, settling into one of the six luxurious reclining passenger seats. The plush cushions momentarily gave way beneath his weight before reshaping themselves to perfectly conform to every contour of his body. I will play the part of Astralid, a wealthy noble who owns several factories in the Daedalus sector, Nostaral explained. The Jedi chose to remain standing rather than join Theron in one of the adjacent seats. You will be my security chief, looking to upgrade weapons and armor for my personal bodyguards. Zylst has a thriving black market for both. Everything on board our ship will support this story, just in case customs officials decide to conduct a random search of the vessel. What if someone gets suspicious and digs into our backstory? Theron asked reluctantly getting to his feet and leaving the comfort of the passenger chair behind. My people have seeded the various databases the Empire has access to with documents that will support our story. Short of someone actually traveling to the Daedalus sector to investigate the factories in person, our story will hold up. You've got quite the little operation going, Theron said appreciatively. For a Jedi historian, you make a pretty good spy. As I said before, SIS are not the only ones gathering intelligence on our enemy. Nostaral reminded him, following close behind as Theron headed for the cockpit. But your efforts are focused primarily on the military and day-to-day -day operations of the Empire. My people are more interested in those who follow the dark side of the Force. The Sith Lords, the Dark Council, and even the Emperor. I heard the Emperor's dead. Theron noted, taking a seat in the co-pilot's chair. That is what many believe, Nostaral said cryptically, settling into the pilot's chair beside him. 
You don't buy that? Theron was pleased to discover that, like the passenger seats in the rear of the shuttle, the chairs in the cockpit adjusted themselves to provide maximum comfort and support. That would come in handy for the long flight to Zyost. There are many possibilities I have not yet ruled out. The Emperor may be dead. He may be in hiding. Or he may never have existed at all. At least not in any true sense of the word. I haven't heard that one before, Theron admitted. There is some evidence to support the theory that the thousand-year-old Sith Emperor was merely a myth. Nostarol explained, while going through a standard pre-flight check of their vessel. It's possible that the Emperor is really just the strongest member of the Dark Council. When he or she dies, the next strongest secretly assumes that role, perpetuating the myth of an eternal, all-powerful being to keep the masses and other Sith Lords in line. If that's the case, then why all the rumors that the Emperor is dead? Theron asked, cross-checking the instruments and readouts. Why hasn't one of them just stepped into his robes and made a quick public appearance? The Dark Council, like the rest of the Empire, is in flux. There may be a disagreement among them as to who should be the next one to assume the Emperor's role. Or, the rumors could all be true, and the Emperor was actually an ancient being of unfathomable power who has recently disappeared, leaving his followers stumbling in his absence. Whatever the truth, I will one day find out. Knowledge is the key to stopping the Sith. I thought taking out the Ascendant Spear was the key. The Spear is the key to defeating the Empire and putting a quick end to the Galactic War. Nostarol clarified, raising his voice to be heard as he fired up the ship's engines. But the Sith are another matter entirely. Even if the Empire falls, the followers of the Dark Side will continue to exist in hiding. That is why I have devoted myself to studying the Sith. I am determined to find a way to cleanse the galaxy of their corrupting influence, putting an end to the eternal struggle between the light and dark sides of the Force. Uh, okay. Hope that works out for you. Theron could feel the seat beneath him adjusting as the force of their liftoff pressed him into his chair. The Prosperity's thrust was impressive. You mock me. Did Master Zhou not speak to you of the Force and the battle between the forces of light and darkness? He was more interested in teaching me the skills I needed to survive. I think he was expecting the instructors at the Jedi Academy to fill me in on that kind of stuff. But when I didn't show an affinity for the Force, they refused to take me. The Force manifests itself in many ways. It flows through all living things. Not being a Jedi doesn't diminish your worth. Never said it did, Theron answered, a little more sharply than he intended. I need to input our destination into the MAV computer, Nostarol said, perhaps sensing it was time to put an end to the conversation. Theron was all too happy to let the matter drop. In his few weeks at the Academy... He'd experienced enough of the unintentional but unmistakable self-righteous superiority of the Jedi to last a lifetime. Could have been worse, Theron thought. At least he didn't ask me about my mother. Once again, Theron wondered if the Keldor knew about Satil's secret shame. The rest of the trip passed in relative silence, 
both men retreating to inner contemplation as they went through the mundane routines of deep space travel. Theron actually appreciated the lack of conversation. It gave him time to mentally prepare for the coming mission. By the time they were halfway to Zyost, he'd successfully banished all thoughts of Jason Satia, leaving his mind clear and focused. The clearance procedures for ships approaching Zyost were far too regulated to actually be efficient, but they passed through the gauntlet of customs and security with little difficulty and were given permission to land. Once the prosperity touched down, the faceless guards tasked with authorizing their presence on the Imperial-controlled world simply asked Nostaral a few routine questions, ran a quick verification of the ship's registration, and made a perfunctory search of the interior before waving them through. Safely out of earshot, Theron couldn't help but whisper, If we knew Customs was just going to wave us through, we wouldn't have had to ship the decryption core here ahead of time. The Empire has ears everywhere. Duly chastened, Theron decided to keep any further smart-mouthed comments to himself. As they made their way from the landing bay to a speeder waiting outside the spaceport to take them to Tefet's contact, Theron couldn't help but marvel at the cosmopolitan feel of the crowd. He counts at least a dozen different species from every corner of the galaxy including sectors where countless Republic soldiers had given their lives to save the local populations from being conquered and enslaved by the Sith. The scene was even more difficult to fathom when one considered Zyost's history. The Sith had fled here over 20,000 years ago, when a war of succession reduced Korriban to an uninhabitable wasteland. They adopted Zyost as their new homeworld, and at one time it had even served as the capital of the Sith Empire. No one from the Republic had ever even officially set foot on Zyost. Since its founding, it had remained under the absolute control of the xenophobic Sith Empire. Even as recently as a decade ago, the only non-human, non-Sith purebloods on the world would have been slaves in chains or cages. Now, however, the planet had been reinvented as the gateway to the Empire. The place where anyone seeking an alternative to dealing with the Republic was welcome to come and do business with the Sith. While some might see Zyos' newfound openness as proof the Empire had become more tolerant and accepting, Theron wasn't fooled. The Imperials were losing the war. They were desperate. So desperate, they were willing to swallow their bigotry to welcome the so-called lesser species with open arms. At least on this one planet. Theron's thoughts were interrupted by a sudden nudge from Nostaral. The Jedi Master was looking up at a nearby holoscreen running an official news report. The images primarily showed the mangled wreckage of several medium-sized Republic ships, the kind used in hit-and-run attacks on Imperial fleets. The voice of an Imperial shill played over the images of death and destruction. A recent attempt by the Republican anti-imperial separatists to conquer the loyal citizens of the Boronal system was easily repulsed by the might of the Imperial defenders. One shot in particular grabbed Theron's attention. Two halves of a Republic vessel floating side by side. The hull split cleanly between bow and stern, like a giant saw had sliced it through. He knew of only one ship in the galaxy with laser cannons powerful enough to inflict that kind of damage. The images changed to show several city blocks on the planetary surface that had been leveled by an orbital bombardment. 
Most of the buildings were reduced to rubble. Those few that still stood had huge chunks torn away to expose the bent and twisted durasteel beams that supported their frames. The streets were impassable, choked with debris and the bodies of innocent civilians. Before the arrival of their imperial saviors, the citizens of Boronal were subjected to a cowardly assault from the Republic fleet orbiting their world. Theron couldn't help but shake his head in denial at the blatant imperial propaganda. Orbital bombardment of civilians wasn't something the Republic practiced, and none of the vanquished Republic ships they'd shown had the firepower to wreak that kind of havoc. The more likely explanation was that the spear had wiped out the Republic ships, then turned its guns on Boronal. Whether Carrot was eliminating resistance on the ground or simply punishing the planet for daring to harbor anti-imperial separatists didn't matter to Theron. There was no excuse for the kind of slaughter she'd unleashed. He saw Nostaral stiffen, and he realized the Jedi Master had come to the same conclusions he had. Theron hoped seeing the horrors his former apprentice was capable of might convince Nostaral to abandon his hope that she could be redeemed. Though he knew enough about Jedi in general to realize this probably wouldn't change anything. The two men continued in silence through the spaceport to where Nostaral had arranged to have a speeder waiting for them. Stepping outside, Theron was struck by a cold blast of wind. Shivering, he pulled his cloak tighter around his body. The air was dry and gritty, with tiny particles of dirt and dust swept along by the breeze. And he squinted, wishing he had a cover for his face. The Keldor, with his goggles and breathing mask, didn't seem bothered by the harsh wind, though Theron took some small satisfaction in seeing him also shivering from the cold. Fortunately, their speeder was as luxurious as their shuttle had been, with a sealed climate-controlled dome to shield them from the elements. Once again, Nostaral sat in the pilot's chair, and Theron took the seat beside him. Theron wasn't much of a follower, but he was happy to defer to his partner on the little things. They zipped through the bustling streets of Zyos Market District, their speeder whisking them above the grounds. There were still several hours of daylight, and Theron was clearly able to see the people below them in the light of the world's distant and faded orange sun. Although he only got a brief view from above, the Market District had the same vibrant cosmopolitan feel as the spaceport. As soon as they passed into the neighboring residential district, however, everything changed. It was still crowded, Zyos was a heavily populated metropolis, but the life and color seemed to vanish in an instant. Everything was drab and gray. The buildings, the streets, and even the clothes of the people in the crowd. You can feel the oppression of this place. The hopeless despair of the entire city. Theron nodded, knowing the Jedi wasn't referring to something he sensed through the Force. Under Imperial rule, there were harsh penalties for even minor infractions, and it wasn't hard to see the impact. Unlike the chaos of Nar Shaddaa, here there was an orderly, almost rigid flow of traffic, both on the ground and in the air. Pedestrians moved with brisk purpose, heads down, eager to get off the street and back to the anonymous safety of their homes. Speeders stayed in their designated lanes, and nobody dared to go faster than the posted limit. Swoop bikes were nowhere to be found, and if there were gangs on Zyost, Theron imagined they'd be careful to stay well hidden. It made for good Imperial propaganda. They claimed their worlds were free of all petty crime. 
but Theron would gladly take a few pickpockets and some graffiti over a sterile, lifeless existence under a completely totalitarian government. We are almost there, Nostaral informed him, as they left the residential district and passed into an industrial area, populated by square, windowless warehouses. I hope your friend's contact comes through for us. Me too. He brought the speeder down just outside the door of one of the buildings. To Theron's eye, it looked exactly like every other structure on the street, but he trusted the Jedi to deliver them to the address Tefeth had provided. Bracing themselves against the bitter wind, they rushed from the speeder to the door. It opened as they reached it, and they hurried inside. Beyond the door was a small open-air office and reception area. Four desks were arranged around the room, though none of them was currently occupied. A single door on the far wall led into the warehouse at the back. Good to get out of the cold, isn't it? Their host said cheerfully. He was a middle-aged human. The crown of his bald head was surrounded by a ring of curly brown hair. His face was ruddy, his features plain. His loose-fitting clothes were unremarkable, but Theron could tell they had been selected partly to hide the man's flappy chest and protruding gut. Unassuming and non-threatening, the perfect frontman for a brutal group like the ZLF. Name's Finn, he said, thrusting out a meaty hand. You must be Tephys, friends. Theron shook the man's hand, but didn't offer his name. Nostaral followed his lead. Everything you sent ahead is here, safe and sound, Vin said, getting right to business. Got it all safely hidden away back in the warehouse, even that burned-out computer call. Kind of curious as to what you need that for, he added with a chuckle. What did you find out about the Orbital Defense Command Center? Theron said, not bothering to satisfy Vin's curiosity. Got the architectural blueprints right here, he said, pulling out a data pad. And everything anyone could possibly want to know about the security systems they have in place. He hesitated for a second, as if debating how much he was willing to share with these strangers based solely on Tefeth's referral. You know, he said, drawing the words out slowly. If you're looking to cause trouble for the Empire... I have some friends who might be interested in lending a hand. I bet you do, Theron thought. But if any of your ZLF brothers get captured, the Imperial interrogators will make them sing. Can't take that risk. Out loud, he simply said, We prefer to work alone. Understood, Vin said with a cheery nod. Just putting it out there. Theron took the data pad and briefly flicked through the contents. Top-of-the-line system. Redundant fail-safes, he muttered. No surprise there. I'm probably going to need some extra high-tech equipment, he continued without looking up. If I put together a list, can you get me everything I need? That will cost extra, their chubby host said apologetically. We can pay, as long as you deliver the goods. Finn's chest puffed up with pride. Hardware and equipment is my specialty. If somebody manufactures it, I can find it. Could take a couple of days, though. Until then, we should try to keep a low profile. Stay out of trouble. You've been talking with the director, Theron thought. Don't worry, he said, holding up the data pad. I've got plenty to keep me busy. 
All right, crew, I got a level with you about part five. It was galaxy brain good. I'm tingling from head to toe, eagerly anticipating our next adventure. Now the tingling could be my MS acting up, or maybe I sat on the space remote again, but I'm 99% sure this is an epic tale. Every chapter drags us deeper into the cosmic rabbit hole. And you know what they say about going deep? Eventually, you pop out somewhere, probably near a space coffee shop. So what's lurking at the end of our journey? An intergalactic coffee? A cosmic donut? I know I can't wait to find out. But first, let's beam up our episode's quote. Because this quote comes to us from Zig Zegler. He said, if you are not willing to learn, no one can help you. If you aren't determined to learn, no one can stop you. Now that's just mind-boggling. It's like a secret recipe for success and personal growth. Now let's break it down and see how we can use this quote in our everyday lives. Imagine you're playing a video game. If you are not open to learning the game's rules, controls, and strategies, no one, not even the most experienced player, can magically make you a pro. But if you are eager to learn, determined to level up, and soak up all the knowledge and skills, no obstacle in the game can stop you from becoming a champion. The same applies to real life. Let's say you are struggling with a task at your job. If you are not willing to learn, no amount of help from your other workers or even the person that has been there the longest can teach you how to do it. However, if you have the desire within you, the determination to learn, then there's no challenge or complex situation that can stand in your way. With that determination, you become an unstoppable force and achieve greatness. With this mind state, you can conquer any task. And that's about all I have for this episode. I hope you enjoyed part five of Annihilation, and I hope you will join me for part six in a few days. Until then, may the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Kenai Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and was distributed by Sway Cast Network. Star Wars The Old Republic Annihilation was read to you by Jason Odega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.